Well, hey, it was not that long ago that there was a little boy about their age that was running around his dad's workshop. And in fact, when he would be in the workshop, he would jump into a pile of sawdust and wood shavings would go flying everywhere because his dad was a carpenter. And Joseph would look up and smile as Jesus would run through his workshop and he'd keep working on that table that he was making. It was for a couple that was about to get married and so he was excited to get this table finished for them. And as he looked around the workshop, it was covered with half-finished pieces of, of tables and benches, ladders, it was kind of strewn about the, wor- the workshop and there was piles of wood. It was cypress and pine and acacia wood and olive wood that were in piles just waiting to be shaped and and carved and, and constructed into useful items for the people of Nazareth. You see, his, his shop in Nazareth was well known and well respected as a, a carpentry shop, and that was the environment in which Jesus grew up. In fact, Mary would often like have to brush the sawdust off of Joseph as he came home and she, he'd be, she'd be picking out, you know, like wood shavings out of Jesus' hair as he came home for dinner. This was the environment that Jesus grew up in because he grew up being the son of a carpenter. And in fact, as he grew up, all through his teenage years, all through his early 20s, his young adult years, he was learning the family trade. His hands were getting strong and calloused from holding those wood tools, and they'd be filled with splinters as he'd reach for wood. But you know, Jesus' friends loved to come and hang out in that wood workshop because Jesus could always tell a good story. They knew Jesus was always good for a story. So his friends would gather and that wood workshop would be filled with laughter and conversation. See, Jesus grew up uh, learning the trade. But I think that perhaps one of his favorite things to build were houses. Oh, for a carpenter to be able to look at a plot of barren land where nothing had been and then to be able to construct a solid wood masterpiece that would house a new family, that would be able to protect them and shelter them from the outside elements that would threaten them. And he could build that safety. He could build that community. He could build that shelter. See, Jesus was a carpenter. He knew a lot about working with wood. So when he had a career change at the age of 30, he went from carpentry to being a wandering itinerant rabbi. And a man who had spent so much time working with wood And constructing houses and building houses now transitioned to helping people know how to build their lives. And he did that with great joy, believing deeply that as he he spoke and he worked with people, as he talked to them about the best way to honor God by living out what 
their choices were and the decisions they made in a way that was honoring to God, that that could bring some stability to their lives, that that could give them some strength and some wisdom as they navigated how to make decisions. See, Jesus talked a lot about how to make wise decisions. And one day he, he walked up to a hillside that overlooked the Sea of Galilee. It was a warm day. The sunlight on his face just drove, drove away the cool air. And people began to gather around Jesus once again, just as they had done in his workshop. But this time as a rabbi who could speak into their hearts and their lives. And he began once again to instruct them and give them ways that they could honor God. And he said such interesting things about ways that we should be praying and how we should be forgiving each other. And he talked about this idea of marriage as being something cool and honorable. And he also said weird things like that when people come up against us that we should love them. And as Jesus would speak into these people's lives and their hearts, he would often share a story with them to help them understand more of what he was talking about. And as he was talking about these ideas of living life differently from the way that the world tells us to do, he looked out over the Sea of Galilee and he said, I know. I know you all want lakefront property. I know you all want a beach house. And I get it. Beach days are the best days, right? Sun on your face, surfs up. It's a good day. I get it. And he said, you know, and some people choose to do it. Build their house on the sand so they can wake up and first thing they see is the sun rising and go out and catch fish for breakfast with those amazing, healthy omega 10 fatty acids and B2 and vitamin D in them, and then go for a run on the beach before you head to work. And oh, that looks like the good life. It looks so inviting and enticing. But I gotta tell you, it's not stable. Those houses that they build on the sand, 30 years in carpentry here, it's not stable. And I imagine that at that moment, Jesus leaned in and he said, guys, there's a better way. There's a better way than the beach house built on the sand. And he said this, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. They all knew the guy who had built his house on the sand. When the weather stormed, that place collapsed. But it was tempting and they knew it because building your life on shiny things is very attractive. But they also knew the guy who had built his house on a rock. And it was still standing. 
after the storm. Right foundation, stability, even in the storm. See, Jesus knew a lot about building stable houses, but he knew even more about what it took to build a stable life. So today, we are going to talk a little bit about what strength there is, what wisdom there is when we can build our lives to have stability. Because when we live in a way that feels more stable, it really does help us to feel stronger and more equipped for the shifting sands that are so tempting for us to build our lives upon. See, a strong foundation gives stability and it gives strength. And so for emotionally stable people, people who have stability in their life, they exhibit different attributes. For example, they're calm during stressful situations. They do not consistently experience negative feelings. They have a reasonable degree of self-esteem. And they remain capable throughout difficult, difficult ordeals in life. So stability in people is characterized by being able to make well-thought-out decisions, by able, being able to regulate your level of moodiness and reactions to situations, and to have some consistent behaviors in life that help you and the people that you do life with be able to rely on you and know that you are someone who they can count on. But here's the thing, even though all of us want to have a stable life, sometimes life just happens and we make bad decisions and it throws us off and we feel unstable once again. Recently, I made a really bad decision. In fact, this decision was so bad that it has gone down as my most embarrassing moment. I'm not sure I should tell you about it because it's pretty embarrassing. Do you want to hear it? Yeah, I thought you might. All right, I'm going to tell you. All right, so um, recently I was coming back from a conference. I was traveling. I was on the last leg of my flight home. I was flying through the Vegas airport. And so it was a particularly busy day. The gate was full. There was tons of people. There was people sitting in the chairs, people around the walls, people standing around, people sitting around. Everybody was ready to get on the plane. So I was flying southwest, and my ticket was A17. So anybody southwest people? So you know how that works. You get your ticket, and then when they call your number, you have to stand in these gated sections with where your number is, and that's the order you get on the plane. So I'm A17, I'm standing in my place. So I go to walk over to where I stand, and I have this little travel bag that I have that has four wheels and like the extended handle, you know? So I roll it over. This thing is normally super reliable, travel with it all the time, works great, no problem. On this particular day, I walked over, I put it right next to me with the extended handle, let go, expecting it to stand right next to me. But it did not stay there. Instead, it was unstable and it began to fall over, completely opposite of where I was standing. And as I looked and went to reach out to grab it, I was not fast enough and it went out in front of me. And to my horror, there was a row of seats right next to it. And there was a large 300 pound man sitting with his legs wide open right across from me. Time stood still. Yes, what you think happened did happen. Okay, let's just say it, it happened. And he like healed over in pain, loudly expressing himself to the entire 
gate filled with people whose eyes went from him to my bag, which I'm pretty sure had been possessed by Satan in that moment, and then back to me. What do you do in that moment? How do you recover from that? I turn 12 shades of red. I'm like, I am so sorry. He really didn't want to have a conversation with me at that moment. So I'm pretty much desperately praying, like, let's get on the plane, let's get on the plane, let's get on the plane. And at that moment, the Southwest guy comes on the interspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm so sorry, we're having technical difficulties. We're not going to be able to scan tickets. We're going to have to hand look at each ticket. I'm like, are you kidding me? Get me out of here. I start praying, come Lord Jesus, right now. Come Lord Jesus. And it's just not happening. He did not choose that moment. And so... Everyone is still like trying not to laugh, but wanting to laugh, but trying not to laugh. And he's still very loudly expressing himself in agony. So I do the only thing I can think to do. I start like, there's a lady standing in front of me in this big trench coat. So I start like moving around in front of her to hide. (laughs) That's all I knew how to do. I didn't know what to do. So finally, we've got on the plane. And I, of course, did not look at anybody who was walking on that plane. Don't make eye contact. Don't make eye contact. I mean, moments like that are obviously what make us feel unstable and insecure in life, right? Please tell me you've had an embarrassing moment where you have felt a little insecure, right? Because what happens in these embarrassing moments? Every eye is on you, basically looking at you and judging you and saying, she's an idiot, right? I mean, that's what you feel like the whole world is saying. And so you just end up feeling a little unstable, insecure, not sure that you're making wise decisions, not sure that you have any strength to navigate the shifting sands of culture because I am now a complete idiot. Well, here's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the idea of building some stability into our lives, this idea of a stable table, a stable life table. What would this look like if we thought about our life as a table and we've talked about four areas today that bring a sense of either stability or instability to our lives and ways that God wants to speak into these particular areas to help us feel like we can have more strength and that we can have more wisdom to make better decisions and navigate life in a way that helps helps us feel like we've got more stability. So the first one we're going to look at is this idea of an inner circle. So this first leg of building an inner circle. So what does that mean? An inner circle is like that handful of people that you allow to speak into your life. These are people that you know and that you trust because they know you and they love you and they respect you and they want what's best for you. These are the people that when they speak into your life, you're like, eh, thinking maybe you should think something differently. You actually pay attention. Like that's helpful to you because it's not everyone out there who's noise and critical, but it's that handful of people that you have adopted in as your inner circle saying, I want them to speak into my life. And these are important for us to have because your friends are who will determine the quality and the direction of your life. These people are the ones that really speak into the direction your life is going, the way that you are making decisions. They really impact those kinds of thoughts in your life. And this is why it's so important to invest in quality relationships. Because if you don't have them, then you are likely to feel depressed. You're likely to feel alone 
and you're likely to feel stuck in life. You see, we each have these people that need to kind of just kind of be on our team, like support us. And scripture really speaks about this. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, do not be misled because bad company will what? Corrupt good character. So that doesn't mean you can't like hang out with everybody and love everybody, but who's your inner circle? Who's gonna let you, who are you gonna let speak into your life? Now, the good news is, if you do not have people like this in your life, it's not too late. You can be intentional about finding people that are healthy and helpful for you to be your inner circle. I mean, everyone needs good friend. And so if you don't have those in your life, you can be intentional about seeking them out, identifying them, and then becoming a good friend to them. So Even if they haven't adopted you as a good friend yet, you treat them like you would want to be treated. You invest in them. You speak into their lives with and champion what they're doing. And pretty soon, when people feel that kind of respect and attention into their lives, they are most likely to reciprocate that to you. But if you have friends that you feel like are damaging your pursuit of God, you need to be careful not to let them into your inner circle because those are the people that are going to help you navigate your life. And if you have good quality people who are helping you pursue your relationship with God first, it's going to bring stability into your life by having that inner circle. Now let's look at the second leg of the table, internal health. So when I talk about internal health, I mean all the emotions, all the things that are going on the inside because of what is happening on the outside. God gave us all a very rich, full, deep, emotional life, and, um, and God created all those emotions. So let's just think about those for a minute. What are some of the emotions that people experience on a daily basis? Just go ahead and help me out. Shout them out. What are some of those emotions? Fear, stress, anger. Joy, love, surprise, discouragement, embarrassment, right? We've all got a lot of emotions that we are dealing with on a daily basis. And we often feel these emotions over and over and over again throughout the day as we interact with the different situations that we encounter. Now, the Bible affirms and talks about these different life situations in Ecclesiastes 3, 1, um, 4, and through 8. For there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There's a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So all of these are important to our existence and our experience of being human. Um, We feel them at all different levels, and some of us deal with them better than others, especially some of the hard emotions like anger and fear. We handle and respond to those in different ways. So learning how to 
understand how to feel these emotions and express these emotions in healthy ways can be challenging because not all of us have been taught how to do this. It takes some work, it takes some intentionality, and it takes some self-discipline. So humans require regular emotional hygiene. Have you ever thought about it that way? I mean, I hope you've got some like healthy body hygiene that you guys are doing on a regular basis, right? You're brushing your teeth, you're putting on your deodorant, hopefully you're taking an occasional shower. You all smell pretty good today, so I'm very pleased with your personal hygiene. Well done. So if you think about it though, do you spend more time brushing your teeth than you do taking care of your emotional well-being, your inner world? And it's important for us to do this because all of these emotions can lead to some unhealthy behaviors. I mean, when we experience betrayal or emotional pain or fear or anger, we end up having negative self-talk, we end up blaming people, we end up brooding and holding on and having resentment, and that just leads to all kinds of problems that don't give us a stable life. They end up ruining and sabotaging relationships and the way that we interact with this world. But people who have a stable emotional inner world have been able to figure out how to process some of these emotions. And sometimes that means talking about them with your inner circle. Those trusted people, not on social media, but with your inner circle. It means maybe you find ways to journal through those emotions and get them out and express them. Or you find ways to pray through them and ask Jesus to show up in those emotions and help you process them. Sometimes that means getting healthy and going to a therapist to talk through those issues that no one taught us how to navigate. Those hard life situations that we are dealing with that we don't know what to do with. It means that we are intentional about seeking out that help so that we can get healthy internally as well. Because otherwise, we end up sabotaging ourselves. We hold them in and we start practicing unhealthy behaviors like drinking or using drugs or turning to pornography or going shopping or workaholicism or exercising all the time. I mean, there's so many ways that we self-medicate instead of dealing with the internal world that God has given us as a way to understand and feel our emotions deeply in a healthy way for yourself and those people that you do life with. Okay, let's talk about the third area. This is the leg of identity. So we're going to talk about this, um, and I, I want to touch on something that is really controversial in culture today, but I just felt like we should do it. Everybody else is talking about it, and we need to talk about it in the church. So I'm going to talk about it today, um, and this is the idea that you can choose your gender. Um, it is everywhere. It's on the news, it's in the media, it's in medical profession, it's in our schools. Um, and I just thought that we ought to spend a little bit of time talking about this because I really believe that our understanding of identity and this core aspect of who we are really lends itself to how stable we feel as we navigate life or how unstable we feel as we navigate life. So I just want to um, kind of give you a little warning. If you do have children in here, I'm going to show a video that does talk about gender selection. So it's up to you guys if you want to have your children, um, particularly elementary kids, in here. Um, if you want to jet out, 
I totally, that's fine, no problem at all. Um, but I, I want to talk a little bit about some of what California has been doing over the last 20 years. California, God bless our state, is a leader in leading out a lot of different initiatives. And one of those has included setting and establishing laws that talk about the idea of gender selection. Um, this is one that happened in the Education Code back in 2004. Holy cow, what were you doing in 2004? I had just gotten married. This was not on my radar, was not thinking about this at all. But it was a really pivotal um, moment, especially in this ed code, because gender was redefined to include one's perceived identity. So this was a really significant landmark in our educational culture as they begin navigating how kids would be taught about gender that they would have uh, to include your perceived identity, appearance, behavior, whether or not that identity, appearance, or behavior is different from that traditionally associated with a person's sex at birth. So most recently, these laws have included new education standards that require public schools. So we've got about 6.2 million kids in the public school system in the state of California. So this is entire generations that we are raising up with this idea that gender is something that is a choice and can be selected rather than something that you are born with based on your biological parts. So the new ideology is going to present to students in school, um, and this is from TK, which is transitional kindergarten, so ages four and up through, uh, eight, uh, through your senior year, 12th grade. And this idea of a continuum or a, a spectrum. So this is where we see a lot of the rainbow coming in, that you can choose your identity based on many different um, aspects of your personhood. And um, so gender is not what they call binary, binary as being male, and female, but rather it's an, a spectrum, and there's many choices that can be had. So for example, um, next slide, um, there's a lot of um, kind of mix and match, choose your own adventure in terms of what you may want your gender to be. That is being very much affirmed by educational curriculum today. But I want to let you know that this isn't just happening something in California. It's happening in many states, and it's actually happening all around the world. And I do want to show you a, a video that the BBC has produced to show kids in Britain. So not only is this video being used in Britain, but it also is um, being used all over to talk about how we should be educating kids about how to choose their gender. So the video mentioned 100 different gender types. So I was kind of curious because I was like, how, how, I don't even know how you get 100 gender types. So I printed them all out. I have them all here if you'd like to see them. So just the list, um, I've got anogender, anongender, antigender, and and xigender, apogender, apconsugender, astrogender, astralgender, autigender, autogender, axigender. So that's just the A's <laughs> on the list. So there's a lot. And here's my concern with this approach. I feel like they are wanting to give kids more choice to help bring clarity. But I'm concerned that this approach is actually doing the exact opposite. And instead of giving stability, it's creating instability. And I want our kids 
to grow up having stable lives. I want our kids to feel confident in their identity. I want them to feel secure so they can go out and do things and change this world and make a difference. And if they're so like not sure about what their identity is, that is a huge piece of a shifting sand beneath their feet that doesn't lend to the stability that I desperately want to see our kids have in this life. Now, I know that with a crowd this size, that there's probably a lot of you that have a lot of different opinions. There's probably parents who are navigating these issues with sons and daughters. There's probably brothers and sisters. There's probably friends, parents that have these. I mean, I know, it's just everywhere. And I want to be the first to say, I do not have all the answers. But I do feel like as the church, we need to embrace some of these hard issues and talk about them. Have a starting place for them. Look at scripture to help us navigate them. Because I want to be someone that honors Jesus with the way I think and with the way I talk. And when it gets to these issues that are complicated in the shifting sand of culture, and culture has some shiny answers that I want to embrace. I don't want to be caught in quicksand. I want to stand on the rock of Jesus. I want to stand on the rock of who my God says that I am. And I believe that if we stand on that rock, it will help us navigate some of these difficult challenges that we are facing in our world. Because nothing delights the enemy more than losing you to the quicksand of cultural identity. If he can get at your identity, then you live with insecurity. You question the decisions you make. You question everything you do. And if you don't have a solid identity in Jesus, then everything is just very much a big sandstorm out there that you are left to navigate. So here's the challenge and our foundation. Genesis 1.20 says, so God created mankind, humanity, in his very own image. In the image of God. Can you imagine a more personal gift than God creating in his own image? I don't even know what that means, but it sounds amazing to me. In the image of God, we are created. Male and female, he created them. Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew 19. And when God talks about being male and female, he does some really interesting things. He says, humanity is created separate from the animals. They're separate. Humanity, men and women, are created a little bit lower than the angels. They're created to be distinct, male and female. And I'm going to do this crazy thing. I'm going to bring men and women together to be in something called a committed relationship and allow them to reproduce and so that they can populate the world, that they can be fruitful and multiply. And from generation to generation to generation, we will pass on what that means. And our culture today has created a a shifting sand that's getting really hard to figure out how to pass that on to the next generation. See, teaching our kids, and our world that you can choose your identity is really, really powerful. And it's really attractive. 
It is such a shiny object out there. And do you know why? Because if there is something that I have done that I don't like about me, it is way easier to say, off with the old, on with the new. I'm going to change everything about the core center of who I am so that I can start over, so that I have a fresh start, so that I get to be a different person. And it is an artificial attempt at a powerful truth that only those who are brave enough to follow Jesus know. Do you know what that truth is? That when you submit your life to Jesus, when you believe he is who he says he is, when you believe that he went to the cross for your sin, that when he went into the tomb, he didn't stay dead, but he came back to life to defeat the power of sin and come back to life and say, I am alive and I go with you. When you give your life to that, when you believe it with all that you are and you are willing to follow the teachings of that man, do you know what that means for you? You're a new creation in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. You have a brand new identity in who Jesus says you are. You have been chosen as a child of God. You are a daughter or a son of the living king. You have inherited the family of God. You have a home forever with your father, and you have a brand new family in the body of Christ. And when you embrace that, It is powerful into a sense of identity of who you are and who you get to be. And when the shifting sands of culture start to mess with that, it gets confusing, doesn't it? It gets hard to know how to navigate that. But when we don't have Jesus, it's really tempting. And I get it. Like, I get it. It is so tempting to want to get rid of the parts of us that we don't like, to get rid of them and change our identity at a very core level. But we know what it is to be female when we get to be in relationship with males and see an oppositeness to us. And we know what it is to be male when you're in relationship with females and we are in that oppositeness with each other. And, you know, who are kidding? There's a whole lot of mysteries about what it means to be male and female, let alone a hundred genders, right? We're still trying to figure those ones out. And, I, you know, please hear my heart. I am not talking about the very small percentage of people who are born with both biological sex parts. I mean, when that happens, our hearts should beat with compassion and love and grace to help navigate that very challenging situation. But I am talking about an approach in our world to tell children that there's a hundred different genders that they should select, that they should choose from. And there is new sex ed curriculum being written and adopted in our schools that are targeting this most innocent and vulnerable population. Children are not many adults. And I think we're starting to want to treat them like that. Children do not have the capacity and are not equipped to handle the same kind of decision making that grown-ups are equipped to do. Children's brains are still developing, and, and research tells us that your brain is not fully developed until you're in your young 20s. They cannot think and rationalize like grown adults. And the idea that you are trapped in the wrong body is terrifying to children. 
The idea that a child would be asked to go to a doctor and cut off your body parts, that is so scary for kids. And I don't know that that is the best way to equip them to have a stable identity, to navigate the, cha the challenging years of growing up in our culture. Historic foundational child development tells us that the normal brain development for children is that they begin to understand gender at age three. They understand whether they are a boy or a girl. And then there's something that's called gender stability that they start to move into at age four. And this is the idea that if I'm a girl, I'll grow up to be a woman. And if I'm a boy, I'll grow up to be a man. And then as the brain continues to progress, there's something that is called gender permanence that happens between the ages of six and eight. And that is the idea that even if I dress up in different clothes, I'm still going to grow up to be a boy or grow up to be a girl. So there's these stages of development that happen. And with some of the new mandates coming out in the state with the educational approach, it's challenging the normal brain development and starting to try and confuse it. So I'm concerned that this is starting to destabilizing the lives of our children, our parents, our grandparents, our families, and I want people to feel secure in their identity. Watchful waiting is the idea that if a parent surrounds their child with love and guidance, that the majority of these children will stabilize in their identity by the time they go through puberty and adolescence. And I have to tell you, as I've been engaging in these conversations, I think one of the best things that we can do is champion the idea of how cool it is to be a guy and how cool it is to be a girl. Like, what amazing things that men get to do in our world. What amazing things women get to do in this world. That it's awesome to be male. It's awesome to be female. And champion the good and help them see that understanding that is helpful and strong and stabilizing in this world. All right, let's look at the last leg. Whew, how's everybody doing? Everybody need like a little water break? I feel like I do, all right. Information source, number four, our fourth leg of stability. Okay, so what are the information sources that you let shape your thoughts and actions? Who are you listening to most in this world? Because who you give your headspace to will determine how you make your decisions. Have you noticed that? What are the podcasts you're listening to? What is the music that you're listening to? What is your news source? How do you go to bed at night? Looking at social media? Are you waking up to it? What are you letting in your head to shape your worldview? Because that's how you're going to make your decisions. That's how you're going to think about all the shiny objects that are out there in our culture. Have you ever wished that God would just show up and tell you what to do rather than have to figure out all these challenges? I mean, Scripture talks about this in Colossians 2.8. See to it that no one takes you captive. Oh, that's a strong word. What does it mean to be captive? Like, you, you can't even do what you want to do. Like, you are enslaved. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on, what's it depend on? Oh, us. <laughs> Who's on the other end of every bad decision you've ever made? 
right? You, on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Christ is our foundation. Christ is the solid rock. Christ is the one that can give us that kind of stability. And so I began to ask Jesus, oh, how can I make better decisions? How can I focus my brain and give you more of my headspace? And so I decided to write a little book, and it's called The Scripture Challenge. And I wondered what would happen if I challenged followers of Jesus to hang out with one verse each week for a year and really invest in it. Like think about it and learn it and pray it through and ask God to show up in it and figure out how those words of God can transform your relationships and help navigate the shifting sand and help keep you firmly planted on the rock of Jesus as your foundation. What if I was able to harness my few remaining precious brain cells, because they're escaping at an alarming rate, and focus them on the things of God and help those brain cells to really be utilized to honor Jesus with my decision-making? So I put this together as a guide, and I, um, I really believe that God can use Scripture as like a superpower in your life. Like it can show up right when you need it most. By the power of the Holy Spirit, if you have been thinking about it, if you have holding on to it, if you know it, like when you don't know what to do in the shifting sand and there's shiny objects, Jesus will bring that scripture to your mind as a superpower to help you navigate that hard situation in a God-honoring way. So I also put together kind of an online program because we live in a tech world. And so for those of you who think that might be interesting, this, it's kind of the scripture challenge online where you can um, have a, 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 be a part of this program and you get a uh, a weekly scripture video, you get uh, a weekly scripture devotional teaching from me, and then I put together like a screensaver for your phone and a social media post, and then there's an online closed Facebook group for people who want to take the challenge and, and, and roll this out with me. We're getting ready to start a brand new one January 1, 2020, because... 2020 is coming. Can you guys believe that? So for those of you who are ready for some New Year's resolutions, if this is something that might be helpful to you or your family or your small group or maybe your homeschool curriculum, um, I've got it all back in the lobby, both the Scripture Challenge book and the online program. I'd love to um, invite you to be a part of that if, if that is something that you're interested in. We've got a family from our church, Katie and Eric Chow, who have been doing it the last year with their three girls. And Katie is like, Lisa, I cannot tell you how good that has been for our family, like for us to have one verse we're all talking about, we're all thinking about, we're all praying through and, and see how God is showing up in that. And so it's been so fun to hear her story and I would love to hear more stories like that. So um, I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up as we get ready to, to close up today. And just as we think about this idea of investing and focusing our brains to let God be the one that we really give our primary headspace. Like, we let Jesus be the one that helps us lead out in the decision-making process that we have. So if we think about that stable life table that we want to have with a foundation of Jesus, to have an inner circle, to have internal health, to know your identity in Jesus, 
and to have a good information source speaking to your brain. Because I believe if we have more stability in our life, you can build a strong, healthy, stable life on the foundation of Jesus rather than the shifting sands of our culture.